Welcome to the Alpha Ministries podcast. Alpha Ministries is a recovery church whose mission is to teach individuals and institutions to recognize and apply the gospel of grace, building stronger families and communities. If you follow the podcast, you will know that John has been systematically teaching through the book of Hebrews. We are near the conclusion of the book. In today's show notes, you'll find a YouTube link to the Tuesday night online discussion by some of the men from the Alpha series. They discuss the passages that John teaches on Sunday mornings. This can be seen live each Tuesday on Facebook or YouTube. And the recording remains there. You can see it anytime you want on Facebook or YouTube, Alpha Ministries Facebook or YouTube pages. Today's podcast is sponsored by TG Web Media, a top-ranked New Jersey SEO company. If you want to up your organization's game for online marketing and website building, see the link in the show notes. Without further delay, here is John's message from the book of Hebrews. Phil Lloyd reminds me all the time, push the button, push the button. He was in New Jersey last week, and he texted me. Right before I got up here, push the button. <laughs> See, if you leave any technology up to me, you're taking a real chance, believe me. We're studying the book of Hebrews, and we're coming to a conclusion on it now. We're in the 13th chapter. And we're going to look at the first eight verses of this chapter this morning, which are a little bit controversial for some folks because they... They don't feel like it's in keeping with the character of, of this book of Hebrews. You see, Hebrews was written to encourage Hebrews, actual Jews in the first century, who were being terribly persecuted. They were being imprisoned. They were being looted. They were being scandalized. They lost their jobs. All for one reason, and one reason only. And that is because they dared believe that Jesus was the Messiah. They dared believe what he said about himself. And because of that, they were persecuted terribly. And so this whole letter of Hebrews is about comfort. It's about trying to comfort these folks that are under severe persecution, trying to help them, trying to encourage them. Now, as we've studied so far, our author has presented to us a brand new lifestyle that not only these folks were to live, but also all of us as well. I call it a lifestyle of grace and truth. It's the same lifestyle that Jesus lived. When he was there. As John records in his first chapter of his gospel, the law came by Moses. All the rules and regulations and what you should and should not do, that thou shalt and thou shalt not, all that came by Moses. But grace and truth came by Jesus. And so it's not just these Hebrews that were under persecution 2,000 years ago that this letter is relevant to. It's relevant to all of us as well because we're learning to live a lifestyle, a brand new lifestyle. Now, just to give you a summary of that, 
before we get into these verses we're going to consider this morning. The lifestyle of grace of truth is begun by faith. That's how you get into this grace we're talking about. And by the way, grace is not to be confused with mercy. Don't confuse grace with mercy. Mercy is when you screw up and you deserve to be hammered, God withholds His punishment. That's being merciful. That's not grace. That's mercy. And the reason I emphasize that is because a lot of people have the idea that, that God is only a God of mercy. And so, you screw up, you say, okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. He withholds His judgment. And then you do the same thing again. And then you got to say, oh, good. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And then you do the same thing. See, mercy doesn't change. Mercy has no power to change. But grace is the supernatural means by which God transforms you from a natural child of Adam selfish and self-centered, dysfunctional in every way, to His beloved child in whom He is well pleased. That's what grace does. Grace is God doing for you what you've never been able to do for yourself. And we need to learn how to live in that. Not just experience it occasionally, but to live our life on an everyday basis in that lifestyle of grace. Well, that means you're going to be exercising faith daily. It's not a one-shot deal. To live by grace is just, okay, I trusted Jesus, so I can get on with my life now. No, no, no. Living in grace means you're trusting God moment by moment, day in and day out. It's an exercise of faith in two things. First of all, in who God said He made you to be. Now I know naturally all of you have suffered from a poor self-image. You know how I know that? Because according to the Scriptures, you were born absolutely worthless. Did you know that? Yeah. You were dead in sin and trespasses. You were an enemy of God. But when you believed what God had done for you, you couldn't do for yourself in His Son. When you trusted on Him, you became a brand new person created in Christ Jesus. You became a brand new person with the righteousness of Christ. And that's who you really are now. I love going into groups, especially the, I've had a long history with recovery, folks in recovery. And I like going into a room full of recovering people and tell them, you're no longer the same person you've always thought you were. Amen. Yeah. And it's not only true for people in recovery, it's true for all of you. 
You're not the same person you've always believed you are. No, that is the natural person born of Adam. Now I know you may have tried to dress yourself up, clean yourself up, make you presentable. You tried to be good according to your own knowledge of what's right and wrong. But that's not the person God made you to be. He made you a brand new person. Now you say, when did He do that? In actuality, He did that before the world was created. In point of history, He did that when Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. And from your personal experience, He did that when you believed what Jesus has done for you. You were born of the Spirit. Became a brand new person. Now I know that's difficult for some to understand and for all of us to grasp fully, but that's the first thing we need to believe in to stay in this lifestyle of grace and truth, who God made us to be. Because I'll guarantee you, before this day is over, there's going to be some kind of evidence crop up, either coming from someone that you know or love or coming by your own performance. There's going to be some kind of evidence that crops up that tells you you are worthless. You're no good. You're screwed up. You've blown it. Some kind of evidence is going to tell you that. The question is, what are you going to believe? Are you going to believe the truth of what the Word of God says about you? Or are you going to believe your experience in your situation? See, that is a necessity of exercising faith daily to walk in grace and truth. Second thing we're to believe in daily, minute by minute as a matter of fact, is in the personal leadership of the Spirit of God. What do I mean by that? When you were born of God, He put His Spirit inside of you. He put His Spirit, the same Spirit that raised up Jesus from the dead, He put Him in that new person He's made you to be. And that Spirit's there for a purpose. And that purpose is to direct you, to guide you, to lead you, to teach you, and to comfort you in your daily walk. See, Jesus told His disciples, He said, I'm not going to leave you like orphans in this world. I'm not going to leave you floundering around. I'm going to come to you through the Spirit. And I'm going to guide you. And I'm going to teach you. I'm going to lead you. I'm going to comfort you. Now, the beauty of the Spirit, leading, comforting us, and teaching us, is that it's personal. Did you know that? Yeah. It's what He wants you to do. It's what He wants you to say. See, this is where religion makes a big mistake. It makes a huge mistake. Because one person has a spiritual experience and learns that God wants them to do such and such, we naturally get the idea that that's for everybody. 
No, it's not for everybody. It's for you. So your spiritual leadership is personal. And it concerns every aspect of your life, by the way. Because God's concerned with it. If he numbered the hairs on your head, or in some cases, a lack thereof, he cares about details. He cares about you. And so, two things we're going to trust every day in this lifestyle of grace and truth. First, we're going to trust who God said we are. And secondly, we're going to trust what God said he wants us to do. Go, say, be. His personal leadership through us on a minute-by-minute basis. And then we've entered into grace. We've exercised that faith. We're entering into the supernatural grace of God mediated to us by His Spirit doing supernatural things within us to change our thinking, which will ultimately change our feelings and our behavior and our relationships, changing us from the inside out. But what keeps us in that grace? What keeps us in that grace is what we've just completed studying in chapter 12. What keeps us in that lifestyle of grace is hope. You know why? Because a lifestyle of grace is not to be confused with a bed of roses in which nothing bad happens to you. Okay? Look at Jesus. He followed the Spirit immensely. I mean, immediately. Daily. He was doing the will of the Father. Yet no one, no human being ever suffered as much as He did. So a lifestyle of grace doesn't mean, okay, I won't have any problems. No, no. You'll have just as many problems with or without that lifestyle of grace. But the lifestyle of grace guarantees you that you have the endurance to face those problems. That's called hope. Remember the story about the white rats? How many of you remember the story about the white rats? Let me tell it again. And this was a scientific experiment that they did. They took a strain of wild rats. You know, psychologists are mean to wild rats and soft college sophomores, but they took this strain of wild rats, and by one, one by one, they dropped them in this container of water and timed them to see how long they would actually swim before they gave up and drowned. Average two or three minutes. So they got them another strain of rats, just like the ones that they just tested. Same genetics. And they dropped them in that container of water one by one, and before they gave up and drowned, at about two minutes or therefore, they grabbed them, put them in their cage, and fed them. One trial. The next time, they brought those same rats out that had one trial. Dropped them one at a time, again, into that container of water. 
Now this is where the experiment turned ugly, especially for the experimenters. Because on an average, those rats with one experience of being delivered swam for 18 hours before they gave up and drowned. What's the difference? Hope. It gave them the endurance they needed to keep on keeping on. See, this lifestyle of grace you're called to is filled with hope. Because when you believe what God says is true about you, when you trust the leadership of the Spirit, the Spirit in you creates in you this joyful, confident expectation that you're going to be okay. You're not going to lose. And that hope that's created in you by the Spirit through your faith sustains you in the trials you have to face in this world. So, your lifestyle of grace begins with faith. And it is sustained day in, day out, year in, year out by hope. A joyful, confident expectation produced in you by the Spirit whom Jesus, remember, He called Him the Comforter. How does He comfort you? He gives you hope, endurance in the middle of trials. But how do we know for sure what's the telltale sign of this lifestyle of grace and truth we're talking about? What's the ultimate outcome of this? Yes, we believe, and that faith produces hope in us, but what for? So that we can fulfill the ultimate command, really the only command Jesus left us with, and that is to love one another just like He loved us. See, that's our job. That's why God left us here. I can't imagine leaving your children in a dangerous place, even if you have the ability to save them, and allowing them to go through various struggles when you could just take them on home. See, why would God leave you in this sin-cursed world falling apart and the sunk in these sin-cursed bodies that are falling apart? Why would He do that? Is He some kind of sadist where He just wants to watch you suffer? When he knows good and well that where you're going is far better than where you are. Because you have a brand new body that fits the new person you are. Reserved for you already in the heavenlies. And you have a dwelling place there in the Father's house that's far better than anything you'll find in Okeechobee. But why would he leave us here? He's left us here for one purpose and one purpose only. And that's to love one another. Amen. To represent His Son, Jesus, walking in grace and truth to love other people. That's our ministry. That's why we're here. There is no other real reason to be here. 
but to love. That's why Jesus said, A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you. Now notice, he qualified that love as I have loved you. That's a divine love. It's not to be confused with human love, which we'll, we'll contrast here in a moment. Okay, so the lifestyle of grace, faith, hope, and love. Radically different than the natural lifestyle of rules and regulations and law, which is fear, guilt, and pride. So, our author is calling us to that. And right here, in this concluding chapter, in the first eight verses, he gives us some insight into how this love is going to be manifested in our lives right here on earth. Let me just read the verses to you, and then we'll talk about them. Verse 1, let brotherly love continue. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember them that are in bonds, as bound with them, and them which suffer adversity, as being yourselves also in the body. Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. Let your conversation or your lifestyle be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow considering the end of their conversation or lifestyle. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. So what's our author doing here? He's trying to give us a classic example here of what a lifestyle of grace and loving other people will look like in various areas of our practical everyday lives. First thing he says is I want you to continue loving one another. Now this love, as I said to you a moment before, is not the humanistic kind of love. And let me separate the difference for you so you understand. The love he's talking about is God's love. It comes from God. It originates from God. Because God is love. And therefore, it is unconditional rather than conditional. What do I mean by that? There's no conditions based on it. God didn't say, I'll love you if. He says, I love you, period. No conditions. Secondly, it's sacrificial, not convenient. See, God's love is so intense that He gave His only begotten Son, the most precious thing to Him. So love will lead us to sacrifice ourselves for others. Human love naturally is convenient. I'll love you if it's convenient, if it doesn't cost me too much, if I feel like it. God's love is sacrificial. Third thing, God's love is consistent. It's eternal. It's always the same. It's like the closing verses there. Jesus the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. God's love remains the same. This blew me away when I first thought about it years ago. Because it, it dawned on me that God loves me right now. 
as much as he ever has loved me and as much as he ever will love me. His love is eternal. It's consistent. Human love, temporary. I'll love you if you make me feel good. If you don't, I'll hate you. Fourthly, God's love is initiating. What does that mean by that? It takes the first step. God's love reaches out. God proved His love to us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Human love is passive and judgmental. It sits back and waits to see whether you deserve to be loved or not. Now, those four characteristics of God's love alone would make you the most religious codependent on the face of the earth. And I'll not explain that right now. But it wouldn't really reveal the love of God. Those characteristics, even though they're important, are held together by the last characteristics of characteristic of God's love. God's love is intelligent, not romantic. I know this might offend some people. Romantic love is not God's love. It's human love. What do I mean by that? God's love does what is best for the one that is loved. Not what will make the one who is loved feel good. That's romantic love. That's human love. I'm going to love you by making you feel good. No. That's human love. I'm going to love you by doing what's absolutely best for you. That's God's love. It's intelligent. So, I don't want you to get the idea that we're talking about some some universal, slippery kind of love here. Okay, we're not. We're talking about a divine love that is radically different than human love. And so when he says in the very first verse, let brotherly love continue, that's what he's talking about. He's talking about that's our job. That's why we're here. That's why we're still here. To love one another. That's it. Now, in addition to that, he shows us several areas in which we're going to express this love. And let me just comment on, on them quickly and then we'll wrap it up. He says, be not forgetful to entertain strangers. What does that mean? Your love doesn't just stay with your own little social circle. It doesn't stay with your little, within your little comfort zone. It reaches out to people you don't know. Don't forget to entertain or give hospitality to strangers. Now, in his day, that was real important because they didn't have a lot of safe places for a stranger to hang out when he was on his travels. And so they were always looking for hospitality. But it's even more important in our day. See, the strangers that we encounter we have to manifest the same divine love towards. Now that doesn't mean you have to go out and pick up every stranger you've got and take him to supper. That's not, that's not what he's talking about. Neither does it mean that you need to be conned by every con man that wants to 
have you take them to supper and get money from you. That's not what he's talking about. And when you're walking in grace and truth, you'll know the truth about it. You'll be able to discern whether that person, that stranger you don't know, is of God or not. And what He wants you to do with them. But His point here is don't forget to entertain strangers, for some have entertained angels unaware. And no doubt He's going back all the way to Abraham when Abraham entertained the three angels. One of them was the Lord. The other two went down to Sodom and rescued His his uh, nephew Lot. They didn't appear to be who they were. They appeared as strangers. So your love goes outside of your inner circle to others around you. The possibilities are unlimited. But not only that, he goes on to say that our love, this divine love, is to be applied for those in bonds, in prison, in adversity. See, these are the people that are suffering around you. People that are having a hard time. People who are in bonds of one sort or another. Now, People he was writing this to, they understood immediately what he was talking about because a lot of their buddies were in prison. And back then, the only time you ever got to eat anything is if somebody from outside the prison brought you something to eat. So it meant a lot to them when he says, remember those in bonds. But basically what he's saying, the principle is this, identify yourself with those who are hurting. Identify yourself with them. Don't judge. Don't separate yourself from them. But identify yourself with those who are hurting. That's another expression of this divine love. But then, it says in verse 4, and it seems almost out of context here, when he starts talking about marriage, but I guess if you're going to talk about adversity, you've got to mention marriage. <laughs> it says, Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled. But whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. What's he saying here? He's applying divine love rather than romantic human love to the marriage relationship. You see, if you love like God, that divine love, two people loving each other like that are going to give to each other 100%. There's no opportunity for unfaithfulness. And also, he applies it to that sexual drive that is so intense that it leads people to all sorts of sexual disorders. The love of God, the love He displays, eliminates that mess as well. So having applied that, then he comes to those that have the rule over you, which literally means those who are set before you by means of the Lord to teach you, to instruct you, to guide you into a lifestyle of grace and truth. 
them, he says, remember and follow their faith. He didn't say follow them. He follows, follow the example of their faith in trusting God. Finally, he assures us that he's not going to forsake you or leave you. In this lifestyle of grace and truth, we are walking out. We're running as a marathon race. He described it earlier as. He'll not forsake you nor leave you. But He will be with you through His Spirit every step of the way. Your desire, your responsibility, trust Him. His responsibility, get it done. Walking in grace is probably the most satisfying and exciting life that you'll ever experience. Because it's not you who yourself has to figure out the answer to every problem. It's your God. It's the Lord Himself. So we have the privilege of walking in grace. We're going to quit here for today. We'll pick this up next in our next study as he goes on to explain what it's like to live in a lifestyle of grace and truth. Let's pray together. Father God, as we come to your presence now, I thank you. I thank you and praise you for your marvelous grace. I thank you for that amazing grace that changes us from the inside out. For that grace that you've bestowed upon us, that we should be called your children, and that gives us the ability to love one another, even like you do. Thank you for that, Lord. And we ask you to continue now to teach us as we go our separate ways, according to your spirit. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Appreciate you all being here. Now you can stick around the fellowship all you want to. Thank you again for listening. If you want more access to Alpha Ministries teaching, you can like us on Facebook, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and visit our website. All times and dates for services and other events are on our website listed in the show notes. 